when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation it is that time of the week again we are back after taking the bye week off with a brand new episode of just pod baby this is your thursday night week seven preview episode there's a lot of news to get into we need to discuss it all There's some uncertainty right now at the moment about the status of Sunday's game. We'll get into all of that tonight. As always, though, Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Silver and Black Today. Make sure you are heading over to the website for all the latest news with your Las Vegas Raiders. At the top of the show, I'm going to go through some of the news and notes from the week, and there's a lot of it. And in segment two, we'll take a deep dive into this week's opponent, the Tampa Bay Bucks, looking specifically at their elite defense and how the Raiders may want to attack them. And later in the show, you will hear my interview with Pro Football Focus Hall of Fame voter and longtime Bucks reporter Ira Kaufman. But we begin this week with all of the COVID news that's been dominating the the talk around the Raiders. I want to start with Maurice Hurst. He missed the previous game be, uh, because he was placed on the COVID-19 list. He is now taken off that. He's feeling better. He's returned to practice. He will be available this week against the Bucs. That's great news. I'm glad that Mo's feeling better and he's no longer infected. But there's been a lot of bad news surrounding COVID-19, and that's really dominated the conversation, and that is the positive test of Trent. Brown. Now, Brown was placed on the COVID IR list um, this week, and it was confirmed on Wednesday that Brown did test positive himself. Um, he was tested uh, Tuesday morning, and that was the test where he uh, that was confirmed he was he was positive. Now, uh, there's there's a couple different ways the league handles players who test positive. I'll go over that with you here in just a minute. Um, for a player who's asymptomatic, he can still he cannot return to the facility until five days have passed since the initial positive test. He'd have to have two consecutive negative tests separated by a 24-hour time period. For a player who shows symptoms, he'll be out at least 10 days um, since uh, symptoms first appeared and 72 hours have passed since he last experienced symptoms. Um, we did learn on Thursday that Brown is not showing symptoms. He's asymptomatic, so that's a good thing. Hopefully, he's not feeling too too poor. But either way, in both of those scenarios, he is going to miss Sunday's game against the Bucks. And now the domino effect that has occurred based on Brown's positive test is that the four other offensive linemen uh, were not allowed to practice. They were sent home on Wednesday. Uh, because of they they are now placed in the NFL's COVID contract uh, contact excuse me tracing protocol. Uh, we did also hear that they were not allowed to practice on Thursday as well, and uh, just just recently, as I'm recording this, uh, news broke. Tom Palacero uh, tweeted out that in fact all of those other offensive linemen were placed on the COVID list. So um, not good news for the Raiders right now. Now, in addition to all of that, uh, Jonathan Abram 
was also placed on the COVID con, uh, contact tracing protocol relating to the Trent Brown positive test. And he also was uh, is now placed on the COVID-19 list uh, because all four of those guys and, and Jonathan Abram are now deemed as high risk. So uh the 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 scenario with them now is they uh they are out for at least 5 days plus the the initial day of of, of contact with with Trent Brown which was on Monday so that the earliest they could return would be Sunday morning so that makes things extremely difficult for the Raiders as they try to prepare for this game uh with the Tampa Bay Bucks now, the other piece of news as it relates to COVID and the Raiders is that the NFL has decided, and this just came down again uh, Thursday afternoon here, the NFL has decided to move the Raiders-Bucks game from the Sunday night football primetime slot in NBC. They moved that game now to, it would be a, a 4 o'clock kickoff for those on the East Coast, and for those on the West Coast, it would be a, a 1, 1 p.m. kickoff. So a lot of people are upset about that. To me, personally, you know, selfishly, I prefer, an earlier kickoff because now I'm not going to be up till 1130 at night watching the game so I can actually get to bed at a decent hour but um, you know that all comes down to that move all comes down to the NFL has to provide NBC NBC with with a product right I mean NBC pays a lot of money for that primetime slot there on Sunday nights at 820 the NFL has to keep their customer happy by giving them a a game so they could not take the risk that if the Raiders game is moved to, let's say, Monday or Tuesday, the NFL would not have a game to fill that time slot. So they moved the Seattle and Arizona game to 8.20. The Raiders and Bucks get moved back to uh, 4 p.m. on the East Coast, 1 p.m. on the West Coast. Now, Tom Palosaro of the NFL Network, he's been all over this story. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, um, you, you've been, you know, you've, he's got you covered. And if you don't follow him, you, you want to start. But um, one of the things that he tweeted out earlier today was that the NFL and the NFL Player Association are reviewing the recent COVID-19 issues with the Raiders, including the positive test of Trent Brown, who they believe had not been consistently wearing his tracking device. And there's video of the offensive linemen hanging out together without masks uh, per sources. So just a couple of thoughts on that. Now, I got off. I just got off of Raider Nation Radio with Scott and Q, and we talked about the Trent Brown situation. Scott and Q made it really clear that they believe this is an, this is an offense where the, the team should and, and could very well cut Trent Brown. And, and you know, my, my approach to that is, is a little bit different. I, you know, I agree that it's definitely an offense that is worthy of being cut, but I'm not sure if that is the is what the team needs to rush to that decision right now. I I hope that they they you know take all things into consideration. I'd like to hear from Trent Brown. I don't know if we will, or if we do, if it will, we will learn anything from it. But you know the argument that Q was making, and it, and it was a very good argument, is that Trent Brown just hasn't really shown. Uh, that he he's all in, you know that that's what a lot of people believe in, and I guess my my point of view on that is I think people are really upset with Trent Brown and and the injuries that he's had the last two years, especially this year where he missed, you know, the first what uh, four games of the year, 
And I, I think that we have to look at these two situations completely different. Let's not let our uh, frustration with with the injuries kind of uh, roll into you know maybe his misjudgment or or blatant uh, disregard for wearing the tracking device. Uh, they're two separate issues. Uh, you, we're not going to question. We we cannot question him on the injury. If the man says he's injured, and uh, you know we we've heard Gruden talk about all the work that Trent Brown put in behind the scenes to to get back. You know that that's a separate scenario. But this tracking device thing is a whole different situation. Uh, it, it does seem to be very reckless because this was something that the Players Association all agreed on. And I thought Scott made a very good point when I was on the radio with them about how, you know, it's it's more than just him, right? It, it's it, He needs to keep himself safe because he's got to keep his teammates in mind and their families in mind, maybe, maybe somebody who has a pregnant wife. I mean, I know Derek Carr's wife is pregnant right now, uh, and I think Hunter Renfro, uh, his wife, is pregnant as well. So, uh, you know, you have to take those things into account. It's, it's bigger than just him. And, uh, and I think that's what's got some people frustrated is that Trent Brown really ha- has has seemed to have acted so- very selfishly here. But I personally, before jumping to conclusions and just and just completely cutting ties with the guy, I would like to get his side of the story. And, and I'm and I'm sure that's what the organization will do. They're not just going to go and say, oh, we're going to cut this guy now because he tested positive. Um, but there could definitely be some sort of penalties in the future coming for him uh, if, if it is. Uh, if, if the NFL is able to uh, get to some sort of, uh, you know, through their investigation, if they're able to find evidence that he purposely was not wearing that tracking device, he could definitely uh, suffer a fine for sure. And I'm sure the team would as well. So really, it's just a huge distraction right now for this team. And no matter what the players and coaches are saying, I mean, you're going to hear them say all the right things. You're going to hear them talk about uh, the next man up. And it, it, and even Carr said it yesterday. It's not about who's out here. We can't worry about what guys we have and what guys we don't have. we got to go out there and perform. They're going to say all the right things. But let, let's be honest. The bottom line here is they have a game to prepare for in just a couple of days. They have not had their offensive line at practice at all this week. Jonathan Abram has not practiced at all this week, and you are going to be facing the number one defense in the NFL. So this is just this is terrible news right now for the Raiders. What we can hope for as fans is that possibly the game gets moved, although I did hear, I think it was Vinny, Vinny Bonsignor reported that as long as the Raiders do not have any more positive tests, then the game will go on as scheduled. So I'm expecting that this game will happen on Sunday. I just don't see it being moved again unless there are more positive tests. Now, there was some other news this week that was not involved with COVID. Uh, The Raiders went out and signed former Dallas Cowboy defensive lineman David Irving. And this was a guy that a lot of people, a lot of fans out there on social media, they they were hoping that they would land. And and I know this signing has a lot of people excited. Um, and I get it. There's that Mar- uh, Marinelli connection from Dallas. Uh, right now, he's on the practice squad, though. I, I don't suspect he'll be there very long. Uh, he needs to clear the COVID protocols first, and then they can get him up to speed with Gunther's defense. Now, the COVID protocols for a guy who signed off the couch is six days. He has to go through six days of testing, I believe it is, and then he can begin uh, coming around the team. I think that's how it works. Now, once he clears those hurdles, once he gets 
cleared COVID and he gets up to speed with Gunther's defense, I expect to see him on the field sooner rather than later. Now, a couple things I like about Irving, I can't say that I've followed his career because I don't watch a ton of Cowboys football, uh, but I did do a little bit of research, watch a little bit of film on him. He, he's huge, 6'7", 290. He fits the mold of those long defensive ends that Gunther likes. And, but he's also got the size that he can kick in inside. And I suspect once he does get the call up to the active roster, he'll be he'll be used more so as a tackle rather than on the edge, especially while Malik Collins remains out. But even when he returns, just overall, Irvin gives that interior part of the defense uh, just more depth. And that's, and that's a great thing. You can never have enough depth along the D-line. I saw a cut-up of him today, which had all of his sacks, all of his career sacks, and nine of the 13 sacks for him came as a defensive tackle. So he's definitely shown that he can get to the quarterback from rushing from the, the middle of the defense. One of the things that stood out to me is he, he's got really long arms, kind of like Max Crosby. He's got a lot of length. And he, he uses those long arms to to get leverage, create separation so those offensive linemen cannot cannot get on top of him. And, and so he and also he's very powerful. So he can beat you in a couple of ways. He can beat you with his length and he's also got power. It's a very good combination. Now I, I do expect he's going to um I I'm not sure how I'm not sure how, how you guys feel, but I'm not I don't think he's gonna come right in and, and, and immediately wreck havoc. I think we need to kind of temper our expectations. He's been out of football since 2018. You got to keep that in mind. That's a big factor. And he played in only two games that year. And I went back and looked at some of his numbers. Even in the 2017 season, he played in only eight games. So we're talking about a guy who's played in a total of 10 football games since 2017. Now, he's still young. He's only 27 years old. I would be a little bit more concerned if he was 32 years old, but he's still young. I'm sure he'll bounce back quickly. I'm not sure what kind of shape he's in. I'm I'm assuming he must be in decent shape if they were going to, if they were to sign him. So they must feel he... You know, he's ready to go, but it's something to keep your eye on. It's something to be concerned about, at least. Now, the other thing that I would be concerned about is what I hear a lot of athletes talking about this day, and it's like, what's their why? You know, what is their reason, their purpose, right? I think you've probably all heard that before. And what I mean is, this is a guy who the Cowboys coaching staff basically gave up on, you know, through all these suspensions because he was, I think he was suspended three times for violating the league's um, policy on, on marijuana use. I think, you know, that's what it was. And, and, and Irving himself, I read some of the things that I read um, Vic Tafer's piece in The Athletic. He did a piece on him. And it sounds like Irving himself was was more than willing to walk away from the game to pursue his passion to be a, an advocate for marijuana use. And, you know, I'm not here to pass judgment. That's not what I'm trying to do here. And I've I've tried to learn a little bit more about, you know, what his cause may be in, in the days after he was signed. I don't want to just assume anything. And I, I think he's got a valid point. He believes that the NFL came off as, as hypocritical with their stance against marijuana use. And, and, and at the same time, while they condone the use of opioids and, and different types of pain medications that 
are much more addictive. So I totally get where he's coming from there. But I also heard, I also read in Vic's piece that he claims he's had 25 concussions and uh, post-traumatic stress disorders and all kinds of things. So I do kind of worry about where this guy is at mentally. Um, we do know that the NFL has since changed their policy on marijuana use. I'm sure, I don't know if he still uses marijuana or not. I'm not sure where he stands on that, but they no longer test for that thing anyways. So it's, that's not a huge deal at this point. I, but again, I, I still think it's a, a, at least a small concern for me, uh, where Irvin is at mentally and whether or not he's 100% invested in the game of football. And I'm not saying that he isn't. It's just something that I wonder about a player who's been out of the game for a couple of years for some disciplinary reasons. Um, does he, you know, did he miss the game? Does he love the game still? You know, is is that passion still there, or is he just looking, you know, for a quick payday? And I suppose none of that really matters, I guess, right? If, as long as he comes in here, puts his head down, works hard, and is a great teammate. I guess it doesn't matter what the motivation is, but again, it's just it's just something that I thought about, and I thought I'd share those thoughts with you guys. I do hope it all works out for him. I love I love nothing than to see a a comeback story with athletes, a, you know, a real success story, stories of redemption. I love that, and I look no further than Alden Smith, and I just love the fact that he's back in the league. He had some serious demons that he had to confront and deal with, and he missed a, a couple of really good years in the, in the prime of his career where he could have made a lot of money. And there were times when I would see those videos on, on the internet of him stumbling down the street drunk. And, you know, I, I just said, geez, I hope that guy could can get his life together. And I, I didn't know if he ever would be able to get himself together, but look at him now. He's, he's, he, he appears to be clean and in the right state of mind. He's back in the NFL. He's, he's making money and he's playing very well for the Cowboys. So I, I do hope, um, you know, we see a similar situation with Irving. I don't think Irving, his his um, personal life was as out of control as Smith, obviously. Um, but, you know, the, we all know the Raiders definitely need some help along that defensive line. So hopefully Irving can, can be the guy that can provide some of that for them. Okay, guys, I do want to get to uh, my first break. Uh, before I do that, here's a quick word from our sponsors at Manscaped. Support for Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PODBABY at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. We are back on Just Pod Baby. We are previewing the Week 6 matchup between your Las Vegas Raiders and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Speaking of the Buccaneers, how about that defense they have? They are the number one ranked defense in the NFL right now. They do a lot of things very well. Let's start with stopping the run. Only 64 yards a game is all they allow right now. It could be a very uh, long day at the office for Josh Jacobs, who really hasn't gotten off to a great start as of yet. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. It might not get any easier for him this week. Another area that this Bucks defense is really good is forcing turnovers. They're second in the league with 11 takeaways 
eight interceptions, three fumbles. They did have a pick six last week off of Aaron Rodgers. They've got some young, talented corners in Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, and Jamel Dean. Uh, Dean is the one who had the pick six last week. They may be young, but they're very, very talented. You throw in the rookie Antonio uh, Winfield Jr. on the back end. He's rock solid. Jamel Dean is pro football focus's highest graded cornerback in coverage. He doesn't play all the time. I think he's only getting about 75% of the snaps right now, but he's he's very, very good. They're also tied for second in sacks with 22. They have guys that can get after the quarterback and Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Now, part of the reason that they, they're able to generate so much pressure is partly doing, uh, due to scheme. Now, defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, he loves to send pressure. That is a trademark of a Todd Bowles defense. 44% of the time, they like to send the blitz. That's third most in the NFL, so... Uh, John Gruden and Derek Carr, they better expect to be, uh, you know, seeing a lot of different blitz packages uh, when they face Todd Bowles. They do not give up a lot of big plays either. That's another area they've been very good. In fact, only uh, 218 yards passing allowed through the air. So really, it's pick your poison when you when you want to attack this Buccaneers defense. I do think the one one area that Gruden uh, and the offense may find some success is with the tight ends and and running backs out of the backfield into short to intermediate routes. You know, I did see a a few tight ends have had some decent games. I wouldn't say huge games, but uh, the Saints, Jared Cook had five catches for 80 yards, and Elvin Kamara had five catches for 50 yards. Uh, I know Jimmy Graham caught a touchdown. David Montgomery with the Bears, he he had a, a seven catch day. So, you know, I'm not saying it's it's a, a it's a real true weakness, but it could be an area where Gruden could look to expose them. They do have a very good group of linebackers as well in Devin White and Levante David, but White's calling card is not as a coverage guy. If Gruden can get him matched up in some favorable spots against Waller or Richard or even Josh Jacobs, that again, that would be an area that, that maybe they could look to attack and have some success. Now, the status of the offensive line will be a big part of the game. And this is a difficult matchup if they were at full strength. Even with Trent Brown, this is a tough, tough matchup. They got a very good front seven. As I mentioned at the top, they could be without a number of these offensive linemen. It's just something we're going to have to kind of wait and see and how this plays out over the weekend. And just some quick thoughts with the Bucks' offense. We know it's all about Brady, right, the GOAT. He's got some very good weapons on the outside with with Evans and Godwin and Gronk, and, and uh, but but I think an area that maybe they've been a little bit underrated is as a running team. Even without Leonard Fournette, who was brought in once the season began, he only played I think two games with them. One of those games though was he did have a hundred yards rushing. He's been out the last couple of games. He was practicing again this week, so it looks like he'll be active. But Ronald Jones, he has been very good as their lead runner. He's uh, fifth in the in rushing in the NFL with 472 yards. He averages 4.9 yards per carry. That's a great number there. And he's coming off his third consecutive game of 100 yards. So he's really getting it done right now as a runner, and he's been active as a pass catcher as well. So really, when you look at this Bucks team, they're very, very well-rounded. They've got a, a elite, great defense. They've got a very, very good offense. 
again, just really well-rounded, similar to the Chiefs, who, you know, they don't have many glaring weaknesses as well, but the Raiders beat them two weeks ago, and and the Bucs do have two losses already. So, you know, anything can happen, and I expect the Raiders, uh, hopefully they'll have some of that offensive line intact. I expect the Raiders to come out and play a very very, uh, hard-fought game. One last quick note about the matchup. I fully expect Derek Carr to come out and play this game with a huge chip on his shoulder like we saw him do a couple weeks ago in Kansas City. He had heard all about the the struggles in Arrowhead and, and he put all of those things to rest with, with a great performance, one of the better performances of his career. And I think he's going to play with that same kind of emotion and that same kind of chip on his shoulder because of all the offseason talk about the possibility of the Raiders going after Tom Brady. Uh, Carm talked about it, seeing uh, when when he first moved out to Las Vegas, the, the newspaper was all about Tom Brady possibly being the new quarterback of the team. And so I think he's going to carry some of that with him into this game. And I expect him, as long as that offensive line is somewhat intact, I expect him to, uh, to play a good game, much like what we saw... Uh, in Kansas City. Now, will he have that same level of success? I I mean, I don't know that, but I think he will play well. He's going to play inspired football. I I really do believe that. Let's go out to the phone line now and bring in our guest this week and get some of his thoughts on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Say hello to Pro Football Hall of Fame voter and longtime Tampa Bay Buccaneers reporter, Mr. Ira Kaufman. Ira, thanks for giving us some of your time tonight. How are you? My pleasure, sir. Uh, We got buck fever down here in Tampa, Florida. Um, and it's all part of a broader pattern. Uh, the hockey championship has already come to this area. The Rays are about to be in uh, game three of the World Series. They're three wins away from holding a trophy over their head. The Bucks are four and two and coming off a very impressive final three quarters when they absolutely uh, stunned Aaron Rodgers uh, and, and the Packers, who basically quit in the late stages of that game. So, you know, all is well in the Tampa Bay sports market. Um, and, of course, it's a football town to begin with. Even when the Bucks are 4-12, and 12, it's a football town. And with Tom Brady aboard, uh, you can imagine the excitement here. Um, they're on their way to Vegas this weekend if this game even gets played, uh, which is now all of a sudden up in the air. So, you know, the Vegas odds makers say it's uh, it's going to be a close game. Bucks are slight favorites. Raiders coming off a bye week. And then, of course, you got the subplot, uh, of course, with uh, Gruden going up against his, uh, his former franchise. Yeah, you're right about that, Ira. Uh, the Tampa Bay area has got it all going on right now with their sports teams, and uh, and we're going to get to the game in just a minute. But but I I thought you'd be a great guest for us this week because um, as I mentioned, you you do have a vote on the Pro Football Hall of Fame committee, and I know that there's a lot of Raider fans out there who are listening who are hoping to see Coach Tom Flores finally receive his call to be enshrined this year in the Hall of Fame. So let's start there real quick. Flores, I'm just going to kind of run through his resume. Flores is a two-time Super Bowl winning head coach, and he's the first Hispanic head coach as well as the first minority to win a Super Bowl. He was AFC Coach of the Year in 83. Uh, I also want to point out that of 13 head coaches in the league to win two or more uh, Super Bowl championships, Flores is one of the four head coaches who's not been inducted into the Hall of Fame yet, and his his career uh, regular season record, 97-87, and 8-3 in the playoffs. You don't have to tell us which way you're going to vote unless you really want to, but but what do you think about his resume and his chances of finally getting in this year? 
Well, he, he certainly got his assets, you know, on his portfolio. There's no question about it. Uh, winning twice uh, with Jim Plunkett, you know, uh, is very impressive. No question about it. Um, and uh, the teams he beat, particularly the Redskins and the 83 Redskins, uh, I believe uh, might have set the uh, record for most points in a season. That Washington team, um, they had a heck of a team. Um, and they were the defending NFL champions. And the Raiders beat them bad. Uh, ironically, that game happened uh, in Tampa Stadium. Um, so I think that was the first uh, uh, Tampa Super Bowl was, uh, was, was that game in January of, uh, of 84. There's one knock on Flurries, my friend. There's one knock on him, and it's a big one. It's a big one, and I've, I've yet to hear somebody really answer it, which is when he left the proud Raider organization and the umbrella of Al Davis, uh, and the pride and poise and the commitment to excellence, uh, he had a disastrous stint in Seattle. I mean, there's no getting around it. Uh, he did not turn around that franchise. Uh, I've heard some people say nobody could have won in Seattle. Nobody. Terrible ownership. Uh, the team wouldn't spend any money. I understand all that, uh, but I will point this out. Um, I am the guy that presented Tony Dungy for the Hall of Fame. Ironically, a lot of people here in Tampa uh, don't understand why Dungy's in the Hall of Fame because they blame him uh, for not getting it done here in Tampa, uh, winning a Super Bowl until uh, Gruden came along uh, in 2002. Uh, but having said that, uh, I was here when Dungy came aboard in 96. And I got to tell you, no matter what kind of situation Tom Flurry's walked into in Seattle, it could not have been any worse than Dungy with the 96 bucks. They had 13 consecutive losing seasons, 13. Uh, they started one and eight under Dungy and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, won six out of their last seven. It was his only losing season. And by year two, they were in the playoffs, the 97 bucks. They're in the playoffs. Nobody could believe it down here. Um, and so that's the knock on Flurries. When he left the Raiders, uh, he's got a blot on his record. Um, so, you know, it depends which way you want to look at it. His accomplishments are, are very solid. Um, and, of course, the two championships. Uh, we might face that with a Tom Coughlin. He's got the two, including that one against the uh, unbeatable uh, 07 Patriots that, you know, went in 18-0. and zero. Um, So... I'm not saying Flores is, is, is a bad candidate, but he's a Florid candidate. F-L-A-W-E-D. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a fair point you make up, and I do I do have that in my notes. 83 and 53 with the Raiders and a 14 and 34 record with the Seahawks. So d- definitely a valid point you make there. And keep in mind, Flores must receive 80% of the votes from the 48-member panel that will convene in, in your neck of the woods down in Tampa Bay at, during the Super Bowl week on February 6th. So we'll just have to kind of sit tight and, and, and we'll see. Now, now, speaking of Tampa Bay, they're coming off a very dominating 38-10 win over the Green Bay Packers. They're now 4-2, and two, and it looked like things were really starting to roll for them, and then they had that, that little hiccup against the Bears, but they have to be feeling pretty good about where they are right now after the big win over the Packers, right? No question about it. And you know, with all the fanfare uh, around Brady's arrival in, in March, um, and Arians is an offensive coach, and they got Evans, and they got Godwin, 
And all of a sudden, they got a pretty good running game with Ronald Jones. With all the emphasis on that side of the ball, um, kind of sneaky. But uh, this team is, is now being led by its defense. Uh, just ask Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he had a headache after that game. He was sacked five times through two picks, including a pick six. That doesn't happen to Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't throw picks, but he did. Uh, and, he, and he heard footsteps when they weren't even there by the end of the game. That's what happens when you got a, uh, a stout pass rush. So that, that is what Derek Carr is going to be looking at. Uh, the second thing, if you're a Raider fan, nobody, nobody's been able to run on this team. They led the league in rushing defense in uh, 2019. They picked up where they left off in 2020. Uh, I think they're giving up 3.2 yards a carry. I mean, it's very, very stingy. And I know Josh Jacobs is a heck of a back, and he's averaging 21 carries a, a game, which is a high mark in this pass-happy league. I believe it's number two to Derrick Henry. Uh, so, you know, Gruden wants that ground game. I don't, I don't think he's going to get it on Sunday as good as Jacobs is. And, by the way, let's hope this game does come off uh, – you know, as scheduled on Sunday and doesn't get pushed back to January. Uh, but uh, that all depends on what's going to happen uh, with the Raiders and, and COVID. But the Buck defense, it's for real. It is for real. Even in the Chicago game, which was a bad loss, uh, the defense played okay, not terrible. Uh, but that was the game Brady uh, lost track of the downs at the end, and the Buck offense uh, did not score a touchdown in the second half. This defense is solid. Uh, they're strong up front. Uh, obviously, against the run. They got two linebackers in Levante David and this Devin White that are fast, that tackle very well. They go sideline to sideline. And perhaps most impressively, this young secondary was absolutely torched in the first half of last year. Torched. Um, And everybody said, well, they got to replace these guys. Well, they didn't lose faith in them. Some were rookies, some were second-year guys. Well, now they know Todd Bowles' system. Bowles is doing a heck of a job. He's very aggressive with the blitz. Derek Carr is going to face uh, a lot of pass rushers on Sunday. Uh, I expect him uh, to do a lot of dump-offs um, and those long plays to Ruggs uh, and company take a long time to develop, and I'm not sure he's going to have enough time. But it, it is a very solid defense that they apparently uh, solved their kicking woes, which have lasted more than 10 years. That's been a running joke here in Tampa. So, Look, they're 4-2. and two. They're feeling good about themselves. Now, can they follow a game like Green Bay and, and, and reinforce it with another really strong effort against the Raiders? We shall see. Uh, but right now, they're 4-2. and two. They've got confidence. And they're fairly healthy, which the Raiders are not. Longtime Buccaneers reporter Ira Kaufman doing a great job for us, giving us a great rundown of this Buccaneers team with, with us here on Just Pod Baby. Now, you've talked a lot about the defense just now, and I agree, they're, they're a great unit. I, I don't see many weaknesses at all, but Ira, if there is an area where Gruden should look to attack, where, where would it be? Where Where is a weakness on this defense if there is one? Well, the the, uh, the safety spots uh, might be exploited a little. Uh, Waller might might be a big factor. Um, the Buck safeties, they've got a rookie, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, you remember his father played a long time for the Vikings as a safety. The kid's good. He's smart. He's tough. But he's a rookie. He is a rookie. Uh, the other guy is a guy named uh, Jerome Whitehead. Um, he'll hit you. He'll stick you. But um, can be exploited in coverage. 
So maybe the back back end, uh, the Raiders might have a little bit of success there. I, I think so much depends on whether they can establish uh, Josh Jacobs as, as a credible running threat. You don't, you don't want to be third and seven against this pass rush. I mean, JPP, uh, Jason Pierre, Paul, uh, the guy's a freak of nature. I mean, he got his hand blown off in the, in a fireworks accident. He, uh, you know, he, he broke his neck in a car accident and he just keeps coming back. The guy's, uh, you know, he's like the Terminator and he hasn't lost a step. And of course, Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks last year with 19 and a half, he was a heck of a pickup from Denver as a free agent, probably the free agent pickup of the year last season. Uh, he hasn't even gotten on track yet and they still got a good pass rush and they are using white and David from the linebacker position extensively as blitzers and Winfield and Whitehead. So, you know, Bowles is very creative. He's got a reputation as, as one of the great defensive minds. He's reinforced that this season. Um, and it took him about nine, 10 games last year to turn this defense around. And now they're putting it all together. So, you know, the onus is on the Raider offense to uh, keep the chains moving, um, and keep Brady off the field because, um, the Bucks got some weapons on that side of the ball too, my friend. Yeah, and another area that Bucks defense is is very good is uh, with turning teams over. Uh, second in the league with eleven forced turnovers, eight interceptions, and three fumbles. So uh, they're very good at generating pressure, and they're very good at, at taking the ball away. Let's let's jump over to the offense now. We we know the big story is Tom Brady, you know the goat, but uh, and, and they've got all kinds of weapons around him on that side of the ball. Uh, but in your opinion, do they do they have it all figured out right now with the passing game, or are they still trying to get on the same page? Well, I think the best news from a Buck perspective on the offensive side is the, the emergence of Ronald Jones as a credible running threat. Um, he had a terrible rookie year in 2018. I mean, terrible. The second round pick out of Southern Cal. He averaged 1.9 yards a carry. I mean, that's hard to do if you're trying. 1.9. Uh, a lot of Buck fans were turned off. Absolutely. He's got stone hands, so he doesn't help you much in the passing game. Uh, but he was supposed to be a speed back, a slasher. Uh, it was a disastrous rookie year. Last year, he was better. He averaged 4.2, respectable. Uh, got about seven, 800 yards. Well, all of a sudden, this year, and this is a year where they added Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy to probably push Jones. He's responded in, in, in spectacular fashion. Um, I think he's third in the league in rushing. He's coming off three straight 100-yard games. The Bucks have had a lousy running game since Doug Martin was around, and I'm talking about five years ago. It's been a real problem. So Brady, who loves the play action, um, now has a, a decent running threat to go along with it. It's making it very tough on opposing offenses. Does Brady have the arm he had in 2007? Absolutely not. Does not. But he's not a nickel and dimer. He doesn't mind throwing the ball long. Uh, and with Evans and Godwin, especially Godwin, really coming on strong. A lot of people don't know him. Kid out of Penn State about three years ago. Just gets better every year. Tough, good blocker, good route runner. Uh, they moved him to the slot last year. He didn't miss uh, miss a trick. Um, Evans is Evans. You know, this. Uh, he broke into the league in 2014. People thought, uh, oh, Johnny Manziel made him at Texas A&M. It turned out to be the other way around. 
Evans probably made Manziel. Manziel's a washout, and Evans has gained a thousand yards in every season he's been in the league, um, and he'll set an all-time record uh, if he does it this year. He's tied with Randy Moss for most thousand-yard seasons to begin a career. So that's how good Evans is. And you know what? Gronkowski got on track last week. He looked pretty good after looking really rusty those first four or five weeks. So, look, they got a varied offense. Uh, They're going on all cylinders. Just ask the Packers. They had no answers for them last week. Uh, But, you know, the offensive line, it's been up and down. You mentioned the Chicago game was a bad loss on national TV on the road. Uh, The Bears put a lot of pressure on Brady. Khalil Mack had a field day. And you guys got somebody named Max Crosby. He could have that type of day. Uh, The Buck offensive line played well against Green Bay, but they're not consistent. Um, One more point that I need to mention. Uh, And it drove Arians up a wall after the Chicago game. And it's been a bit of a problem. Penalties. Penalties. They led the league in flags last season. 133. It's a big number. There was a point of emphasis, you know, training camp, blah, blah, blah. Well, they go out, and it's it was a problem this year, uh, especially in the Chicago game. Um, false starts, offensive holding. Every time Brady looked around, it was first and 20. Well, that's a tall order against any defense, and Chicago's got a good one. So it kind of wrecked the whole buck offense that night. Well, last week, zero penalties. Zero. They had only done that one other time in franchise history. That doesn't mean it's going to carry on uh, to Sunday afternoon uh, at, at Allegiant Stadium. doesn't mean that. But they're working on it. They're working on it. And, you know, Arians is just, he's tired of saying, we got to stop beating ourselves. That was the big, big theme, of course, with Winston, 30 interceptions last year. We got to stop beating ourselves. We're talented. Let our talent flow. Uh, win the turnover battle. And you know what? They're plus four right now. Uh, that sure that sure beats minus thirteen, which is uh, where they ended up last year. Now, Ira, before I let you go, I, I told you when I reached out to you uh, by email that I, I I'm a big fan of Chris Mad Dog Russo on Sirius XM Radio, and I and I love listening to you and him, uh, you know, chatted up on Wednesdays. And I know that I know from that you're a great storyteller. So I thought when I when I have you on the line here, I know that you covered Gruden for many years during his time in Tampa Bay. Do, you, do real quick, do you have any good Gruden stories that you, that you could share with us? I have the ultimate Gruden story. Now, <laughs> right. It might take two, it might take two and a half minutes, but it's worth it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, let's hear it. All right, all right. Everything I'm about to tell you is true. The season 2002 turned out to be the Buck Championship season. Middle of the year, Minnesota Vikings come into Ray J. Now I covered them the year before 2001. Dungey was the coach. Minnesota also happened to come into Tampa. That season, the Bucks beat him bad. Mike Allstott led the way. He had about 150 yards on the ground. I'm watching the game in Tampa. I'm in the press box, and I realize by the third quarter, they don't want to tackle Mike Allstott. They don't want any part of him. He ran right over them. So here comes the Vikings in 2002. New coach. And I know Gruden's watching the tape of the 2001 game. But, you know, tape doesn't always show everything you see and feel when you're at the game. So I grabbed Gruden in the middle of the week leading up to the Viking game. And I said, hey, John, you know, I know you, you know, 
watching. Uh, you got your fill of uh, tape of the Vikings, but I got to tell you, you know, by the second half of that game last year, they wanted no part of Mike Allstott, zero. And, of course, Allstott was still on the Bucks in 02. All right, so three, four days go by, and here comes game day. I show up at Tampa. The Bucks win the game 35-14. to 14. Big, big win. Brad Johnson threw five touchdown passes that day. Five. Mike Allstott, who Gruden hadn't used that much during that season, Mike Allstott carried 26 times and gained, I think, 51 yards. 26, 51. Well, now the game's over. I go down to the locker room. I'm talking to Johnson. I'm talking to a couple of defensive players. All of a sudden, somebody taps me on the shoulder. It's one of Gruden's, uh, you know, assistants. I go, what's up? He goes, coach wants to see you in the hallway. I said, I'm doing an interview. I got my tape recorder. Now. He wants to see you now. All right. Now, you got to remember, <laughs> they, they, just beat, they just beat the Vikings by 21 points. Right, right. Everybody in that locker room is jubilant. Everybody. <laughs> the coaches are walking around. They're swigging beer. They're happy. All right. I go out, I go out to the hallway. I, I got no idea what the heck's going on here. I see Gruden. Gruden's leading up. He's leaning against the wall. And I go up to him, you want to see me, coach? And he starts doing an imitation of me because I got one of those voices that people like to do an impression of. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, I only got one question for you, Kaufman. I go, uh, okay, what's that? He said, which one of those two-yard runs by all stop did you like the best? <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> What did you say back to him? I, I, I couldn't help it. I, I cracked up. He had me. He had. I, I fell to the floor laughing. I mean, it was such a brilliant line. Yeah. And, and I go, Kate. I said, I go. You just won thirty-five fourteen. Can't you smile? Oh, I said, what a memory you got. He goes, I don't forget a thing, Ira, especially when it concerns you. I mean, that's one of the great lines anybody's ever said to me. Uh, of course, I never told Allstott what the hell he said, but um, that is John Gruden after a. A smashing victory over the Vikings, remembering that I was uh, talking them into giving Allstott the uh, the pigskin twenty six times. That's Gruden. Oh, thank, thanks for sharing. That that was a great story. I'm sure all the listeners are going to get a a big laugh out of that. The, the great Ira Coffin, everyone. Ira, great job. Thanks for for so much of your time. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Th- thanks again. Uh, all right, my friend, and let's hope this game goes off its schedule because the Raiders have already had their bye week, right? And um, so it, it could be a mess, you know, to make this up in January or something. And But it is what it is, right? So we got no control over the COVID. And uh, let, let's hope the game goes off as scheduled Sunday. Should be a good one. Absolutely, Kaufman. Take care, my friend. Take care, my friend. All right, thanks. Welcome back to Just Pod Baby for some quick thoughts just to wrap this one up. We had a great interview there uh, with Ira Kaufman. He, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a funny guy. And, and, you know, he gave us a great rundown there. What, what great insight uh, by Ira of the Tampa Bay team. And he hit on a couple of the, the same things that I did in, in my breakdown of the Buccaneers when I talked about uh, the possibility of Waller being a potential matchup issue for the Bucks defense. He, he agreed with that, although he thought it could be with Jordan uh, Whitehead on the back end rather than uh, Devin White, who I thought could be the guy they looked to target. 
but I, I hope you all enjoyed that spot. I was really excited when he agreed to join me. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's preview episode of Just Pod Baby. Let's all hope they can find a way to get this game in, whether it's on Sunday or Monday or even on Tuesday. Let's hope it's with Jonathan Abram, Gabe Jackson, Colton Miller, all the guys out there healthy on the field. Got to keep this thing rolling for the Raiders now. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. And as always, just win, baby.